Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Shannon Sisler. She's the Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer at Crocs, the world leader in innovative casual footwear. Shannon Sisler on the Riderflex podcast. Hi, Shannon. Hello. That is a fancy background you got there. Where are you? It is a fancy background. It's actually our brand new global headquarters in Broomfield, Colorado. All right. Nice. Okay. Now, are there people, some people in the office or just a few or what's the, by the way, for the listeners, we're recording this on June 23rd, 2020. So I'm calling it the back half of the coronavirus. I don't, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'm calling it the second half. Uh, so uh, still somewhat in an odd state here with how many people are back to work. Where are you guys at with that? So we started coming back into the corporate office in May of 2020, and we've really been asking people to come in as they wish. And we've got about half of our workforce that's been coming in so far and lots of protocols to keep everyone safe, but we're getting used to the new abnormal. You know, it's, uh, I'll be 53 in August and I've, uh, I've been an executive and I ran, I ran a couple of $40 million companies as a CEO and president, not nearly as big as Crocs, but my point is, just when you think you've seen everything and done everything, <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, this is new. I haven't done this before. <laughs> yes, right? We're seeing a lot of that for a lot of our employees and for me as well. There's every day I get new challenges, so it's keeping me busy. Right, because you've, you've been an executive for a long time, right? You've through, through, uh, through 9-11, through, uh, through 08, and so you've, seen, you've had lots of experiences. So, yeah, this one happened, you're, you're thinking – Wow. All right. We get to, we get to write some more new policies. <laughs> we do. We do. And all of those big events definitely have impacted kind of who I am, but also how you learn to operate a business. So they've been really informative. Yes. Tell, tell the listeners about yourself, by the way, personally, where you grew up, some family stuff and school. Right. Absolutely. So uh, I grew up lots of different places and that's because um, I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, my father spent 20 years in the Navy um, and my mother was a teacher um, with a master's in counseling. And so I was an only child. And the first um, part of my life, I got to live in Honolulu, Hawaii, to Corpus Christi, Texas, Nova Scotia, Canada, Vancouver Island, Canada, California. Nice. Finally found our way to Colorado. My parents had moved 26 times in 27 years, and we decided <laughs> to stop moving. Um, so we stopped moving, and um, I was fortunate to go to Columbine High School. Uh, so I grew up in Littleton, Colorado, and then uh, found my way to CU Boulder for undergrad and the University of Denver for my MBA. So I've been in Colorado for quite some time, um, but I've gotten to travel extensively through my career and also personally. So um, that's been a great joy as well. 
So you had to switch high school. So freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, you switched high schools every year just about? I, I was fortunate. I, by the time I got to high school, we were done moving. We were supposed okay. to take one okay. more twilight tour to D.C. Um, for my dad's last um, last place. And we instead stayed here because we liked okay. it so much. So the high school is my first, um, I guess, stability that I have in my life. <laughs> How, how did a finance major end up becoming an HR executive? How'd that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. I have an undergrad in finance and an MBA, yet, uh, you know, I get to do HR for a living and a lot of other things. But, you know, I always say I'm a business person that happens to do HR versus the other way around, right? I think uh, what I've seen is that folks that are doing a really good job managing the people function, they're, they've got a good you know, focus on both how the people are doing and what they can do to really drive results, but then also how the business is performing and the levers you need to pull. So uh, I think they, they come together, but uh, it definitely has been an interesting journey and not one that I scripted from the beginning. You know, everybody talks about the advancement of tech, right? That's the, that's the you know, favorite topic for, for everybody, advancement of tech. But when I look back at HR, because <clears throat> I, I was, you know, I was a manager for the first time in like uh, 1987, <laughs> which seems like, I don't know, a lifetime ago. Yesterday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when I think back, though, or, or some of those early years, I mean, the stuff that we did and, and our behaviors um, just, <laughs> I mean, I think back, I, I, I think back and I go, there are so many things I should have been fired for way back when, you know, whether it's, whether it was terminating an employee without ever calling HR or whatever. I mean, just so many things. And, I, and my point is human resources has really advanced too. And I, I, I was thinking about that as I, as I was preparing for this interview, you know, HR has come a long way, just like tech has. I think we, we treat employees better. We've created better environments, still got a long way to go, but boy, when I grade myself as an early manager in my 20s, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think HR is continuing to evolve. And I think you raise a really good point, which is I think what's kept me involved with HR is it has grown so much. I think the early days, it was all about personal management and trying to get data and compensation. And now, you know, it's evolved all the way to, you know, how do you create an amazing employee experience? Right. What does culture need to look like? You know, yep. how's talent acquisition going to be thriving on social channels? And even now, I think it's really growing substantially because we've got so much health and safety and well-being of our workforce that we're focused on right now. Um, and then also, I know one of my responsibilities is facilities and creating uh -huh. workspaces that are also good for our workforce is an interesting new addition um, that I've been able to pick up over the, the last several years. And so you see HR, I think, really evolving. And for me, that's actually what's kept it fun. Did you walk us through how it happened? Um, just give us a, a little bit of a career kind of highlight. You know, you, so you yeah. came out of school, kind of how you got into it and, and how you advanced and got to where you're at now at Crocs. Go ahead. Yeah, it's actually kind of an interesting story. So I got um, hired out of school into Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. And nice. because I was a finance major, they actually had me start by being a programmer. Um, so I was coding in C, C++, COBOL. What? Um, and doing all those things. And while I was good at following instructions and coding exactly like they taught me, um, I went to them and said, this is probably not the best and greatest use of my skills. 
And they said, well, what else do you want to do? And I said, I want to be in the change management group. And they said, you don't have a degree that will enable you to transfer to that. Um, and I said, well, then there has to be something else. How about I do the training for, for coding? Can I teach the classes instead of mm. actually be a coder? And they were like, sure, you can there do it is. And so sometimes those little naive questions that you ask, as long as you kind of focus on what are you really interested in doing can lead you in the right way. Um, and then I actually, wow. go ahead. Oh, I was just about to say, uh, you can you, have you thought about if you hadn't approached them and they, and you hadn't asked that question and you didn't lead that training course, it's possible that you may have never entered HR. Yes, it's very possible. And wow. wow. I would have been a terrible coder, I can tell you that. So, um, but, but then what happened was uh, they actually started the, the, um, the business process outsourcing group of Accenture. Okay. And that was a brand new startup for them. And I remember I went to them and said, well, can I be part of this startup group within Accenture? Because I had different cool. responsibilities and they wouldn't let me in change management. Um, so I actually joined that group. And in that group, I did all of the deal shaping and transition of people from one company into Accenture. So I was always client facing. I was never in HR. And for about two years, I had clients down in Houston, Texas. And I used to commute every week. And I used to sit next to this gentleman who um, I never really knew what he did, but he, we always got the same you know, seats every week. And so I think he probably had been checking out what I was doing on my laptop. Um, and it, at some point he asked me, he said, hey, you know, I am a C-suite person at Safeway. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, you know, I'm actually going to be growing the HR, um, like mergers and acquisitions team. Would you be interested in joining my HR team? And I thought, well, why would I be in HR? Like, I'm a consulting person. <laughs> and he goes, because you know how to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm all, I exactly know how to do all that. And um, so he actually interviewed me for an HR role for Safeway, but it was moving out um, to the West Coast and I decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. However, uh, what that gentleman never knew is that I then interviewed for HR jobs. I went on during the dot-com bubble into level three communications, which is now CenturyLink and started really going through all the different HR functions. So both that first question of, can I maybe teach the class instead of be the coder and someone saying, hey, why don't you think about joining my HR team? Probably are what led me to where I am today. And they were both random things that happened. It's, it's interesting. Um, most executives can speak to a story that involves meeting somebody in an airport or on a plane or on a plane where they were commuting heavily on the same trip. You see the same person. You're like, Hey, how you doing? And you start. Yeah. Yep. That happens. Okay. And so then you went through your career, several awesome stops, right? Along the yeah. way. How long have you been at Crocs now? And tell us about um, your role there. I think it's senior VP slash chief chief people officer, correct? Yes. So um, as of this summer, I will be with Crocs for three years and it's been a great experience. It's an organization that, you know, I came into it right as we had announced a brand new CEO, Andrew Reese, and we were really, um, for the first time, establishing the HR function on its own. It had previously been led, you know, more kind of through a legal lens. And so it was the first time they had a chief people officer. Um, it's still, you know, a relatively young company. So came in and, and really had a blank sheet of paper to say, you know, what is the people roadmap? Where do we want to go? Um, and I had great support from our CEO, who has turned out to be one of my, my favorite bosses legitimately. And, and it's been a really good experience. And so I can share some of those stories, but I feel like 
you know, I, I got here, our stock was right around six or $7. It's gone all the way up to 42 and nice. exciting, exciting growth, obviously a little bit of a setback this year, but we're actually doing fairly well considering the circumstances and, and I feel really you know, excited and confident about where we can go as an organization. Uh, a long way from where that stock was in the, the fall of 08. I yes, can't remember what the- Yes, a long way, yes. <laughs> I think they, they, there are days that people here will tell you they were you know, in the dollar range. So um, to mm. see it up in the 40s and, and this week in the 30s is a great step forward. Uh, yep, I remember those. Congratulations on your time there. And it sounds like even though we've gone through some difficult uh, times here over the last two months as a nation and as as a globe it sounds like you guys are doing okay yeah i think we are doing okay you know we we do business in i think over 90 countries around the world so we started really dealing with this pandemic the very beginning of the year as we start start to really impact our asia operations and where we produce our shoes and it's made its way all the way around the globe you know we've had to shut stores we've had to keep distribution going our e-commerce channels thriving. So we've had a lot of changes, but I have to say I'm pretty impressed just with the discretionary effort that we've had from our workforce has just been amazing. And we're very fortunate we went into this with really high engagement. Um, we do our engagement survey results with Glint and we typically are in the top 10 you know, percent of engaged workforces. And I have to say this crisis has really demonstrated what a engage workforce can do in hard times. And that's been a really good lesson mm. learned and case study as we're going through this. Speaking of engagement, um, so what's gonna be the future for allowing people to work from home? Are you, are you going to change your behaviors or policies in any way moving forward based on what you've learned and, and gone through? What do you think? Yeah, I think the good news is at Crocs, you know, for certain roles, we've always had a lot of flexibility working with your manager. And I think we will continue that. Um, I think one of the things that we've also been learning about, though, is it really is different in each country that we support, right? So mm. people working from home in Japan and China looks very different than if somebody's working at home in the U.S., but it's just based on accessibility, the size of their um, living mm. arrangements, mm. who's at mm -hmm. school, not at school. And so I think, you know, this is a situation where local guidelines are really important for you know mm. local work groups and i think we continue to explore what that'll look like but i do think it will evolve and we're taking each day as a learning and, and we'll continue to evolve as as the country and globe do you know i hadn't thought about that i'm, I'm always preaching on the rider flex podcast we're huge fans of remote and in fact rider flex as a recruiting firm we're 100 remote so i'm always pounding that drum but i hadn't thought about yeah, companies like yours with employees all around the, the world and different countries and different setups. Yeah, they, I, I, good point. Yeah, they they really... might not have really good, reliable access to yeah. Wi-Fi or they have very small flats that they live in with several mm. people. And so, you know, finding mm. a, a cozy space to work is just not feasible. So I think we really have to listen to what our employees need and we'll react accordingly. Mm. Very good. So you've had a successful career. You reached the executive level. There's lots of people... That, that have those aspirations, maybe they're at the associate level, maybe they're at the manager level, but they really want to, they want to be a VP. What advice do you have for, you know, Mary, Mary's a manager, she's an HR, maybe she's payroll manager. I don't know what we'll pick, pick the title, but, but she wants to be an executive someday. She's listening to this episode. What would you tell her? I think the first thing I would tell her is, Find out what you're really interested in. What gets you excited? Because I think if you pick the right things that you're interested in, you will end up being good at them. 
if you keep doing what you think you should do versus what you want to do, I think you never end up where you really want to be. And I think I've, you know, taken on the strategy of I do what feels good for my strengths and my interests. And when I've done that, it's, it's led me to doors opening that I never thought were even there. Um, but it's, you know, if you like what you're doing, you're most likely going to be much better at it. And so that's mm-hmm. one of my key things. And, and those should do's are really loud, especially, you know, for some individuals or societies. And yet we got to let go of those at times. I've gotten better at doing the, what I like to do versus what I should do as I've gotten older. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. Um, you've been on lots of leadership teams, so you've, you've experienced a ton of different atmospheres, cultures, dynamics, personalities, all kinds of leadership teams, tons of conference room meetings. You could probably write a book about it. What would you, and that, by the way, that's like an hour podcast, but let's, you know, let's try to trim it down to me asking you one or two questions. If there is a couple of people listening to this episode that routinely go to leadership meetings, whatever company they're in, and they're always, they're going, oh God, leadership meeting tomorrow at three, this is going to be painful. I don't want to, you know, because of what, because either it's boring or there's no engagement or whatever. What advice do you have for, for leadership teams in general, how to behave, how to act, advice in general, go ahead. Right. I think advice for leadership teams, and it's pretty simple, but the first thing is you've got to be aligned on where you're trying to go. I think you've got to have good alignment on, as an organization, these are our goals. These are the few levers that we have to pull to get there. And everyone has to be focused on that goal and rowing in the same direction. And when people are not rowing in the same direction, I think you have to have those difficult conversations and say, hey, I thought we were aligned on this goal. Why are we rowing in different directions? and try to get them aligned. And I think the other thing that goes with that is you've got to have courageous conversations that are not always going to be, you know, hunky-dory, happy conversations to say, it's okay to have constructive conflict. We can agree to disagree, um, but we're doing that because we're focused on getting to the goal and, and we want to succeed together. And I think the other thing is just really respecting the diversity of skills, experiences, styles, capabilities in the room and making sure you've got a really robust team of different perspectives and different backgrounds and different capabilities. Because when you have that and, you know, a new challenge comes at you, you can look at it from a lot of different angles and and adjust your strategy if you need to. And so to me, it's all about those courageous conversations, but it starts with having a good goal. I like that courageous conversations. I don't know if I've heard that term before. I like it. Um, Isn't it interesting that, that some leadership teams, they like to, or some leadership members, they like to have those courageous conversations after the meeting, one-on-one with somebody else. It's like, no, 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 no. Those need to be in the meeting, right? <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes it takes years for leadership teams to get to a place that they can have the meeting in the meeting, right? And there's not pre-meetings and meetings after the meetings. It's actually in the meeting. Um, and I think Thank you. <laughs> one of the things that is really important is to foster situations where you can have formal and informal communication. And I'm a big believer in informal communication where you pick up the cell phone and you just talk to somebody or in the room, if it's not on the agenda, but it's related that you bring it up. And I think the combination of formal and informal is actually critical to having the right conversations. You know, I'm like, like you, I've been managing people for 30 plus years, right? Almost my whole life. 
And I still, to this day, even with RiderFlex, and we're a small team, you know, like 12, 12 active people, even today, somebody will call me and they'll say, hey, oh, gosh, you know, Fred, blah, blah, blah. You know, Fred's like, he's always get, uh, by the way, Fred's a fake name. Right. Fred, Fred this, Fred that, blah, blah, blah. Guess what I say? I'll say, have you talked to him about it? Talk to Fred? Yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome to what I should put on the door of my office, right? Like, go talk to the person, right? Have you you can probably handle it, but have, uh, you have to have a basis of trust to do that, right? And I think that's that's super important. You know, that's a good point, a basis of trust, right? And that's part of the culture and, and uh, that the company sh should be pushing, right? Uh, there should be this trust factor that you, that, that you can yeah. go talk to Fred. Yeah. Uh, I'm always amazed at how often people say, well, no, I haven't... I didn't talk to him yet, but he knows how I feel. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> you tell him four or five times till he really does. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. How about this? So that was good. Good for leadership teams. Thank you. How about? How about you've seen a lot of different CEOs too. So, you know, without mentioning any names, maybe or maybe you want to. Can you give me a couple of? Uh, examples of poor behavior from a CEO and a couple of examples of really great behavior uh, based on what you've seen in your time? Yeah, I think I've in my career, both in consulting and working for, you know, larger organizations have seen, to your point, really good and not so great leadership, right? And the thing I've also learned is that you need different leadership skills at different times for organizations. Mm. Yes. And so in a crisis, you need a different leadership style than you need in a growth mode than you need in a survival mm -hmm. situation, right? And yes. so yep. Yep. I think also sometimes you run into the right CEO, but at the right at the wrong time and vice versa. Agreed. Um, so so I think it's it is somewhat situational. But you know, I I'm fortunate, like I said, to work for Andrew Reese, our CEO, who happens to be a really strong CEO. And what he's really good at is he's very good at clarifying this is the strategy, this is the three things we need to do to go get it done and communicating that he's excellent at communicating both with um, you know his team directly but then also the broader organization over and over in all different ways to make sure that everyone's aligned with where we're headed and i think also in a way that's very approachable and right. you know anyone can just kind of call him up and email him and he gets a lot of those and to me that's how you listen and learn to what's really happening in the organization because a lot of times the unlocks are actually at that individual contributor level that they see this is not working well and if I just did this it would fix it and so I think really listening is critically important but then um, listening and translating that into swift action and so that's one of the things that I really appreciate about good CEOs mm. I think you know where I've struggled with CEOs is you know in situations where they're a very political right and they have kind of their in group and their out group and depending on which one you're in it feels very differently and it can also evolve right you can be in one day and out the next and um, that's a really tough way to survive and thrive right um, and I think also there are lots of CEOs that don't know lots of things going on in their organization and one thing I admire about Andrew is he just seems to understand the business in all different capacities, geographies, and his understanding of the business is critical. Whereas I've seen um, other CEOs that just don't really understand the day-to-day -day operations of the business and, and have been on the front lines, whether you know, for us it's retail stores, distribution centers with our wholesale customers, and really getting that hands-on experience. And, 
And I think while you shouldn't be managing those things day to day as a CEO, you certainly need to understand and appreciate the people that are and, and see what you can listen and learn from, from all of them. Listen is a key word for CEOs, right? You know, most of the time you get to the CEO spot because you talked a lot and you, you were sharing ideas and, hey, we should do this, we should do that. And you were leading groups. And so what I often find when I've consulted with CEOs is, you know, these are people that have spent their whole life talking and now they're in a CEO position when really they should be listening a hell of a lot more. And I think they, I think they forget to do that. So great, great, great point. I appreciate you bringing that up. So let's transition here. You know, you've hired just a few people in your career. Yeah. <laughs> you've done just a handful of interviews, right? I have done a few interviews. Yes. Have you ever thought about that, by the way? Have you ever asked yourself uh, how many interviews or people I you've hired? I don't even you ever want to... to know. Hundreds and hundreds, thousands, I would assume, in 25 years, yes. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. I actually yeah. tried to do the math on it one time. I would say yeah, yeah, probably, probably a thousand interviewed. I don't know how many hires. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, a lot of the listeners for the Ride Riderflex podcast, it's some career advice. And now in, in today's world, even more people probably in the job market than before. Let's, let's give them some advice. What would you say are critical things for you on LinkedIn profiles? Let's start there. What, what is critical for you when you look at a LinkedIn profile or do you even care about that? Uh, what's, what's critical for you? What, what are pet peeves there for you, maybe? Yeah, I think when I look at a LinkedIn profile, I want you to be giving me a good overview of who you are, but I also want to know what do you want to do? And a lot mm -hmm. of times I'll get people that reach out and as I look at their backgrounds and I'm trying to figure out where could they fit in, you know, maybe the organization that I'm supporting at that time, I can't quite figure out, do you want to be in HR or finance or legal? Cause you've done all of those, which probably means you have the capabilities to do all those, but I, you know, at this point in your career, what's of most interest to you? And while I think I appreciate flexibility and I love to hire what I call athletes that can play different sports, you know, I, I also want to honor what people are interested in doing and what their strengths are. And I want them to get to the point on their LinkedIn and tell me what that looks like and what their next opportunity is if they're in the search mode right now. If they're not, then certainly just give us some great examples of the amazing work they're doing right now. It is true, right? I mean, you and I probably look at more LinkedIn profiles than most people walking around. And I always, I'm always looking at it going, okay, now what, so are you ops or sales or market? Like what are, I can't, where are you? I don't, where, where's, what's your bucket? I can't, I, if I can't tell in the first few seconds, I start getting annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, do too, which is disappointing, but I, I do. Cause I want to, I actually want to place that person. And it's hard yeah. to do. Yeah. Right. Right. Do, do you think pictures matter on LinkedIn? Does that matter? Does that, does that, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I think it's nice to kind of see who you're interacting with. I do get concerned about potentially the bias that that creates at times. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is important just to see who you're interacting with. And I think, you know, especially nowadays where we're doing so much video discussion and most likely your first interviews are actually going to be a video. It's just nice to put a face with the name and, and have that interaction. But obviously those pictures, you want to make sure they're appropriate. Um, right. They're, they're not out with you partying on the weekend with your friends on LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all those, you know, feel free to do what you do. Um, but I think, you know, especially on a LinkedIn profile, you're going to want to make sure that is appropriate. Couldn't agree more. So by the way, if you look up Shannon Sisler on LinkedIn, you'll see a nice professional photo, right? Um, I do think, I, I personally believe that's important too. I, I'm, I'm, 
you know, I, I recommend against party photos or even on LinkedIn, like photos with other people or whatever. Like it's not, it's not really for that. Your profile picture should be a nice professional photo. That's my advice as a, as a recruiter. Um, it's interesting on the bias thing, you know, I've heard that argument, right? And we've had candidates say, yeah, but I, you know, I don't want them to make judgments against me because of my weight or my race or whatever. And, and I say, yeah, I understand. I said, but here's the thing. They're going to see you at some point to, 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 to hire, like you're either going to be on a video interview or you're going to meet them in person. So if there is that bias, it's, it's going to happen at some, you know, it's going to happen at some point in the process. Um, you're going to find out that they're like that, which is obviously horrible if they are. But my point is, hiding your picture is not going to stop them from seeing you. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to see you, right? And I always tell them, like, shame on that company if they did have that practice. And by the way, if they do, don't you, you want to know? Don't don't you don't you want to know early in the process before you waste more time in the interview anyway? <laughs> yeah, and you don't and you and you don't want to work there anyway. So. So save yourself time, put the photo up, and then that way you're not wasting time on an interview interviewing with a crappy company. Yeah, anyway, that's my that's my advice for people on the on the photo tips. Resumes, anything different there? Kind of same thing, or anything anything you want to point out for resumes? Yeah, I think you know as time has evolved, I'm interested in getting to know more of the whole person in a resume than just who they are um, professionally, and so. That might be, you know, for example, on, on my resume, I think I have on there my strength finders. Like, what are my top five strengths, right? And like what, are some, what are some volunteer activities that I do outside of some, you know, with some of the boards that I sit on? And then also my professional experiences and some of my favorite projects. So I think one, one of the things I'm encouraging is, you know, we're hiring the whole you, hopefully, as an organization. We're hiring you. We're hiring your network. And I would, you know, while appropriate, I'd love to kind of know what your interests and who you are as a human being um, and, and how you join the fabric of, of our organization. So I think we have to, we're starting to blur the lines. We're even doing that right now through this COVID. You know, never before did you see people's backgrounds of their homes and now you're starting to see that. And, right. you know, obviously it's a fine line to walk, but people show up as whole human beings and, and I want to honor and respect that. So you just brought up a topic here, and I, 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 may, I may go down a rabbit hole on something that you're going to blast me for as an HR professional because I'm more That's of an okay. ops guy. I'm more of an ops guy. You know, yeah, I, I want to know about the person. I mean, I, I want to know, like, hey, did you, did you, did you play college sports? Because that, that, that might make a difference for me. I'll, that, may, that means you're super competitive. That, that might be a plus. I mean, I want to know about the person uh, in general uh, because it tells me more things about their character. And, you know, with, with the rules of interviewing, you just have to be so careful what you ask them, right? You, there's certain things you can't ask them, even though you want to know more about them as a whole person. Yeah, um, I think and, obviously as an HR person, right, you have to be mindful of the questions that you ask. But I yeah. think there are questions that you can ask that are open-ended. You started this interview with, you know, who are you? Where did you grow up? How to tell me about you? That's a great open way for you to, for that person to share what they're comfortable sharing. And, I think, you know, as you're going through and interviewing as a candidate, you probably need to think about this is something I'm willing to share. This is something I don't feel comfortable sharing and have that in your mind so that when those questions come up, if people ask them in a good open-ended way, um, you know what you want to share. I agree. And, and uh, I would encourage people to share I, my personal advice is to share as much as you feel comfortable with because they are hiring you overall as a person and they're going to, they're going to learn about you later on. 
Um, you know, and so you might as well, you might as well share some things about yourself. I, I would, I think it, I think it helps in the process. Um, how about this question at Ryder flex as a recruiting firm? If you go to our website, we, we pitch that we're all about trying to match personalities to company culture. That's kind of our thing, which is not, there's a lot of other recruiting firms do that, but I have had people say, well, if you hire for culture, then you're hiring people that look like you and act like you and now you're starting to get into you're being biased on your decisions because you only want to hire people that are that are similar because you want them to match the culture and so i've gotten pushback on that um and i and i you know i have my own counter responses to it but i'm wondering what yours might be uh for for that what what would your answer be for somebody to say if, if somebody challenged you and said you really shouldn't hire for culture because you, you know you're just going to hire all similar people what would you say well, I think it depends on what the culture is. I, the good news is, you know, at Crocs, one of the things that we focus on is come as you are. And we want a diverse group of people with different perspectives, backgrounds, you know, beliefs. And I think as a global organization, we're fortunate to have that. Um, but actually one of the adjustments that I've made coming here is, you know, I show up, I look out my window, there's people in shorts and flip-flops and they're brilliant and they're creative and they are different than what I've experienced in financial services as, an, as a contrast. Um, and I learned so much from those type of people. So I think, you know, obviously you want to be careful that you don't have bias in your culture, but I think that's something for people to investigate about the companies that they're looking at is, you know, do they all walk, talk and act the same, or do they really appreciate um, different backgrounds, beliefs and, and perspectives? And I think that's something they should ask questions about in the interviews um, and then look for evidence of that. I know if I walk down this hallway that you see behind me, I'm going to see beautiful imagery of just an amazing melting pot of human beings. And that I think really does inspire you to come as you are, which is, which is our focus. So I think you have to look for evidence and cultures that says who they are as a company and, and see if that fits for you as a candidate. And the company I think also needs to see, are you going to come into the organization and also be able to thrive in that environment? I like that answer. I'm going to give you some of the, some of the things I say. Um, I always push back and I'll say, listen, when I talk about culture, I'm not saying they all have to look alike or be the same race or the same age or whatever. I'm saying, hey, if the culture at this office is that meetings start on time, then you better be on time for meetings. <laughs> well, and that's just one example of a bunch of things like that you could talk about, right? Uh, if, if the culture here is that at two o'clock on Friday, we all chill and everybody kind of takes off, then you better be comfortable with that. That's usually my pushback on, on culture, right? Yeah. And I think those are important things to explore and each company has their own culture and, and you got to learn the norms, right? Of, of what companies do and don't do. You have to, by the way, critical for a recruiting firm to learn that too. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. You know, if it's, uh, <clears throat> If you're in an environment that's a rough, a rough language and all the leadership team uh, is pretty rough around the edges, then uh, you, you might want to be careful about putting people in there with soft personalities because they're probably not going to make it. <laughs> uh, so it's, a, it's an interesting topic. I appreciate you speaking on, on culture. You know, you see that word a lot, right? You see that all over. Everybody, everybody's like, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast and all the rest of it, right? You see it mm -hmm. everywhere. So I, I'm, I appreciate you speaking on that. Or do you have a couple of favorite, of course, you might not want to answer this because then you'll give it away for anybody listening to the podcast. Do you have a couple of favorite interview questions? You have two or three that are just like your all-time favorites? I always like to ask the question, tell me about something 
new that you learned in a short amount of time. Oh, I like that. Okay. Um, what kind of, all right. What kind of answers do you get back? All over the board? All over the board. And a lot of times they're non-professional examples, which I like because it actually shows me, you know, how you're going to go about learning something new. Do you ask an expert? Do you look on videos? Do you try it out and see if you're good at it and fix it next time? And so I actually look for all the behaviors. It probably came out of my Accenture days of behavioral interviewing. Um, but that learning something new and applying it in a short amount of time, um, I can tell quickly too if they're going to get things done and learn and fail or learn and be perfectionistic or I, I get a, a lot of amazing answers. So that's one of my favorites. How do you measure successful hire? Do you, do you say, okay, if they stay a year, I feel good about it. If they stay two years, I feel good about it. How do you decide in your mind when, okay, that was a good one? Yeah, I I'm not as focused as much on tenure as I am on contribution. Okay. And there are situations where you might have a hire come in and they just need to get one amazing job done in a year. And if they have business results that are outstanding in that one year, and then they go off to their next experience and that's what you as an organization needed, sure, I would love to stay in contact with that person and see if we can have another experience with them, but that could be a successful hire. So to me, it's about the contribution that they make to the company. And also going back to an earlier point, the cultural fit, right? It's not just about the results, but also how you got those results done and how you interacted with the other um, folks around the organization. So the what and the how, pretty basic, but to me that really measures up, um, was that a good hire? That was a pretty smooth answer, Shannon. I like that. That was good. I like it. It's pretty smooth. Good. All right, let me let me loosen it up just a little bit. Tell me, tell me about a fun unique termination experience where it got a little crazy or, or weird, obviously not mentioning the name of the company, but anything you want to share, any, any favorite termination stories where you're like, wow, that was wild. Wow. That was wild. Yes. I, I have those as the head of HR that are quite interesting. I think probably to top it all off, I will, I have two stories. One is um, I think someone got up and they were so upset. I was in an office and they got up and they threw a stapler at me. That was bad. <laughs> um, and I like ducked and missed the stapler. So thankfully. Um, and then I, I think another one, which I, I am accountable for the situation is I had to get someone to a parking garage because I had taken away their badge. And so I, I went down the parking garage with them, um, which ended up not being a good idea. <laughs> screaming at me in the parking garage and I had no one else around me. So that was a good learning opportunity to say you should never be alone with someone, even though that person had been very courteous in the office. By the yeah. time we got them down to their car, that was not um, a smart decision on my part. So um, good learnings about how to do effective <laughs> terminations. Um, but you gotta, I do actually think you have to be mindful of safety, right? That's what I've learned. It, it can be scary. People get mad. No doubt about it. That ties right into my all-time favorite. Same thing. Uh, I, had a, I had a guy one time and he, he, uh, he, I had turned around to get the paperwork for him to sign. And when I turned back around, he had taken his shirt off. And he was a pretty big dude and he, and he did yeah. like a whole, he did like a Hulk muscle pose and he's just kind of oh. doing this. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, does this mean we're going to fight? Does it, does it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of stood there like, I don't know what this means, but uh, I, I had an intercom thing and I called the manager like, Pat, can you please call security? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good had some, all, all good learnings. Yeah. It's not good to terminate people uh, by yourself. I think yeah. in general, right? I think it's always good to, yeah. <laughs> And by the way, you know, terminations, doing them, it really, it really sucks, right? It's, it's painful, obviously, for the employee being affected. But for those of you listening to the podcast that have never terminated anybody, 
uh, it's also painful for the person executing the termination, really. Uh, if I have, if there are any nightmares or, or things that I think about in my career that are, are sad moments, it's usually involving somebody that I had to let go. Uh, and, and those are the, you know, those are the kind of the things I go, gosh, I really feel bad for that person or that situation or whatever. Um, yeah. like in, like in 08, I'm sure in 08 and 09, you went through some layoffs and I, I remember doing some very painful layoffs for some really good people. And so it's, it sucks to do it. Yeah. I think, I think layoffs are really hard. Um, I've, I've unfortunately had to do a lot of them in my career, um, to your point around different cycles you go through as businesses. But I think the one thing I really try to focus on is how do you do it with dignity and respect? And I'm also a big believer in trying to provide outplacement services to help people transition to their next job. And I cannot tell you how many people I still interact with that at some point in time I've let them go, yet we still talk often. I might be a coach or mentor to them. And or while I've let them go, I've also helped them find their next job. And to Great. me, that is really important that you, you treat the people right on their way out, um, just like you would on their way in. And that's critical and, and not always done well. Absolutely. And by the way, same advice for the, for the, for the candidate being let go. Treat people the right way on the way out. You know, mm -hmm. I highly encourage anybody listening to this podcast, like don't be releasing a bunch of grenades on your way out the building and, you know, doing anything crazy because it'll, it'll, it'll come back to haunt you. And you just never know when you might see one of those people down the road. Right. And, uh, and relationships and networking are so critical for you to land other things <clears throat> and I've seen people do that. Yeah, don't, don't, don't light the dynamite on your way out. It's just never a good idea. And I think that's particularly important right now as yes. you're seeing organizations have to let amazing yes. people go because of yes. the business circumstances. And right. you never know, they could be calling you back in two months saying, please come back, right. things have turned around, and you want to make sure that door is going to be open. I, I couldn't agree more. Relationships and networking are super critical during this time. Um, and by the way, for those of you listening that might have been affected recently, here's the good news. You're going to be okay. I, I, out of all the people that I've ever had to lay off or terminate, I've, I've never had any situation where somebody called me and said, hey, I'm that person you laid off six years ago and I've been homeless, homeless since then and I never found another job. Like the reality is you will go on to do something else. You will be okay after the short-term pain. And in fact, in many cases, You'll, you'll end up in a better situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I just want to encourage people to think, think positively. And by the way, for those of you that are aspiring entrepreneurs, if you uh, found yourself getting laid off recently, well, here you go. And here's your, here's your chance, right? You might have some, some bridge, you might have some bridge money with uh, some unemployment and some severance to get yourself started. So look at it from a positive uh, perspective. I would. Um, has, did Crocs have to lay off a bunch of people and are you in back in hiring phase now? Where are you uh, with, with people and, and workforce? Yeah, so Crocs obviously has experienced the pain of the pandemic like many organizations and we did have to um, take some people action. There were a few reductions that we did in the um, US and Asia, but then we also furloughed some employees as we closed our retail stores. We also asked some people to move down to um, part-time positions for a, a short period of time as well. So um, we did have to do some people actions and we were pretty transparent about what those looked like within our organization and, 
and yet we're coming back pretty strong. So um, we're excited to welcome a lot of those people back into the workforce and you know, our doors are opening up around the globe and we're really excited by that. Does Shannon want to be CEO someday? What's next for her? <laughs> I don't know. I keep wandering down this path. Um, do I want to be CEO? Um, not necessarily, but do I want to keep expanding you know, some of the things that I'm interested in, I do. I think the good news is, you know, I've moved around within organizations. I've had opportunities to be part of transformation teams and business process teams and, you know, doing workplace design and things of that nature. And, and so for me, there's still a lot of fun things ahead. Uh, I've got 25 years in, but hopefully it's several years left. So we'll see where the doors take me. Why, why don't we see more people come from the HR function into the CEO role? It's a good question. I think, you know, as we evolve forward, you're probably going to start to see more and more of that um, because I think what we're seeing is that, you know, a lot of businesses are people-based and those people that are coming out of those, the HR function are going to have a really good, you know, intellect around what do we need to do to drive the levers of the business, which happen to be people-focused. So um, with that said, I think, you know, there in historically, there have been a lot of HR people that also didn't have a really solid operational understanding or sound business perspective. And, and I think you need both um, to really drive a business forward at the CEO level. You need a lot of different functional expertises and a very wide array of understanding to drive an entire business. So um, I'm hopeful that we'll see more of those people in the future, um, but it will take time and they're going to have to be the right individuals with really good business backgrounds. Mm. Well, uh, I can think of somebody's resume that's kind of like that. Her name's Shannon. Uh, <laughs> fi fi finance undergrad, uh, business uh, MBA, uh, business operations experience before she became an HR person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that, you know, you know, yeah, it's, it's always fascinating to, <clears throat> to watch to see um, what function the CEOs came out of. And uh, so I, I thought I'd bring that question up. Great answer, by the way. I think you're right. The more people focused we become, it, it's going to be really important. And, and, you know, maybe you're not a numbers expert if you came from the HR side to be CEO, but you surround yourself with great CFO and a great accounting finance team, you'll, you'll probably be fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is about surrounding yourself with the right talent and also having different experiences in the different functions and those rotational opportunities are critical. So if you can get those in your career, I highly recommend that. Yep. Totally agree. Two more quick questions. We'll wrap up here. And if you could call that 21 year old young lady graduating from CU, and tell her anything today based on what you know now, what would you tell her? I would tell that 21 year old to be bold, be brave, find out what you're interested in, what you're good at and go make it happen. There really aren't barriers unless you believe there are. Ooh, there really aren't barriers unless you believe they are. Ooh, I like that. Who'd you steal that from? Was that yours? Who'd you get I that from? I don't know, I just need <laughs> that, I believe it. <laughs> Last question. Um, this comes from a mentor that I had. He challenged me with it. He said, Steve, if you had to put your core purpose in life into a sentence, you know, what would that be? And I tried to give him a cheesy answer, like, you know, make the world a better place or take care of my family. And he said, okay, beyond making the world a better place and taking care of your family, what is your core purpose in life? Anyway, I struggled well, at that. I struggled at might. that. I was wondering... You might think my answer is cheesy, but I actually wrote it in high school at a um, student Ooh. council 
uh, retreat, and it's actually on my resume. And cool. I, it has held true ever since high school. And what I wrote was to support the individual and collaborative growth of people. Wow, you wrote that as an eighteen. You wrote that I as an eighteen-year-old. Crazy eighteen-year-old. As I look back, but it really actually has been true. As as wow. I have stayed focused on how you help other people grow. It's really helped me grow and that's what gets me up in the morning and makes me feel like I've had a good day and it is my purpose. It's on my resume. It's what I'm about and I feel really passionate about it. Wow. That is good stuff. Okay. Then I won't share with you that when I was 18, I was just concerned about what party I was going to that night. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too, by the way. <laughs> the Rider podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.